This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you once again for joining me on this lucky Friday, March the 13th. Very happy to have my guest, Gordon Depp, who is the four-man forerunner of The Spoons, a Canadian band that was formed in Burlington, Ontario in 1979. Uh, they recorded several Canadian chart hits between 1982 and 1989, and in 1983, they won Group of the Year at the Unknown Awards. Their most popular songs include Romantic Traffic, Nova Heart, Old Emotions, and Tell No Lies. Gordon is the lead vocalist, and it also plays on guitar. The Spoon's higher profile allowed them to become the opening acts for bands such as Culture Club, Simple Minds, and The Police. On November 13th, 2012, The Spoons released the 30th anniversary edition of their Arius and Symphonies album. This is available in a CD format and in a digital format through iTunes. Uh, fast forward to present, uh, Gordon Depp has now authored a book titled Spoon Fed, My Life with the Spoons, which was released on October 15th, 2014. Gordon spent his childhood moving back and forth between two worlds, Canada and Germany, entering a Canadian school system unable to speak a word of English. Gordon was then characterized, maybe even self-characterized, as a shy young outcast turned inward, spending nights writing alone in his room. It was then he discovered a natural talent for music. It was then that Gordon's world opened up with limitless possibilities. A succession of teenage bands ensued, leading to the Spoons' huge concerts, gold records, world travel, and a life of adventure across North America, Europe, and even the Canadian Arctic. The paperback book, Spoon Fed, is $15.64, $15.64 Canadian, and can be ordered through Amazon. So, Gord, yesterday was your birthday. I want to say welcome to my show, Carpe Diem. Thank you. And before we start, <laughs> I am going to sing you happy birthday. Oh, really? Well, that's really I nice. Am. Thank you. I am. So, a little bit of a different version. Hopefully, nobody okay. else has heard it. I'm ready. So like, okay. One. And a one, two, three. My name is Zoom, and I live on the moon, and I came down to Earth just to sing you this tune. Hey, Gord, it's your birthday. Hey, Gord, it's your birthday. Hey, Gord, it's your birthday today. Happy birthday, Gord. See you next well, year. Thank you. Year, year. That's way better than that other version. That's incredible. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I love so, it. Thank you. So listen, I, I, I don't like reading from stuff, but I wanted to make sure that I got all the information correct. Um, so now let's just proceed to where you're at today. Um, obviously, you've gone through some reinvention process uh, from, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 70s, 80s. and uh, you, mean, you mean we dropped the spandex and the, and the crazy hair? Yes, and the, yes. I, yeah, a little you know, bit of adjusting, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty well taken care of itself. The, the retro 80s thing is a phenomenon that I, I thought it was going to be, you know, a couple of years, thank you very much, and then we'd be finished. No, it's been going since about 95, I think, when it first started. Wow. And it, it doesn't let go. It, it keeps coming back in bigger waves. And this year is a good example of that. All the things that are happening is just blowing my mind. 
Well, that's fantastic. And you know that uh, there's likely a lot of people who lost their virginity to your music, right? Yeah, th- but those are the best, the best stories. <laughs> when people, you know, you get people saying, "We, well, you, you know, I, I proposed to my wife that, and when I, at a Spoons concert, or this is a song that was at our wedding. You know, those are the best stories. I mean, you kind of laugh about it, but it's, it's the, when we become part of people's lives like that, the key moments and, and will ever, forever be, you know, that part of their lives, that's, that's priceless. Well, it is. That's phenomenal. I mean, those are great testimonials. And, and yeah, you're very much a part of my childhood. And, uh, you know, growing up as a teenager in my young teens, and I still listen to You survived? To <laughs> I survived. I mean, that's yeah. a in itself. Uh, we're a pretty kids. good, clean, wholesome band. You know, we were um, kind of the the beginning of the whole new wave thing when it started in Canada and, and video started. So we kind of rep- were sort of the face of 80s music in Canada, mainly because of much music and like just, you know. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, it's, we were you, part of the 80s, but we became a part of everybody's lives back then. And, and having the book out, I see that more now than I did back then. It's funny how, like, 30 years later, you look back and go, wow, I didn't realize what was going on at the time. And that's right. one thing about writing a book. It all becomes really clear. It does. Absolutely, yeah. it does. And and how long before you actually wrote your book uh, did you know that you wanted to write the book or, or what the direction of the book was going in? I never, yeah, I didn't really think about it because I never thought there were enough stories, but we put a, a best of called Collectible Spoons out around 95, where the whole 80s retro thing started. And uh, they said, can you write some liner notes? I said, sure, and it ended up being a fold-out with a lot of little stories. And the reaction I got from those liner notes from fans once it came out kind of made me think, wow, maybe there's a story there to be told, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started putting down little bits, and I started posting little blogs and things on the Spoon sites, and people said, why don't you put these all together and fill in the gaps, and you have a book, and they were right. You know, I pretty well, once I started writing it, I thought, I'm not going to remember anything. But mm-hmm. once, once you had those key things in place that anchored it, it all filled in. I, I ended up having to leave things out because there was too much. Okay. Well, yeah. that's nice. So that's the that's good, the bad, and the ugly. I kind of like to say, sorry. That's a nice dilemma to have, where you actually yeah, have exactly. to uh, was like, omit information. I, I don't think there's another decade that has more to write about. It was like ten years of Halloween. It was <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly of and everything, and not not just in, in music, but in fashion and, and, and yeah, the world as it was, and this yeah, just a crazy fun time to write about. And tell us how your book is doing. What what's happening with your book? Well, it's great. I mean, it's actually published. I didn't put it on myself. It's through a publisher up here in Canada. And, okay. and we'll it's talk uh, available in all the, the big, show. you know, chapters and indigos and that kind of thing. And, and I, I do book signings. You know, I go in there. I feel like I should be wearing like a tweed jacket with elbow patches and a pipe and acting all <laughs> intellectual. It's kind of weird for me. But And then Amazon, obviously, and at shows and online. And I'm amazed mm-hmm. how well it's doing. I was kind of hoping secretly it would, but I never expected it. You know, it, was, it was the number one bestseller on Amazon and its music genre for a long time and still up near the top. And people are really liking it because it's not your, your average music bio. It's not just about the partying. It's more about life and, and things that people would never expect. You know, right, right from the from being a kid in Germany and the influences I had coming back here from crazy stuff like the Twilight Zone to music television, watching the monkeys and, and the banana splits on television and the Partridge family and how it sort of shaped my little comfort zone that I fit into because I felt so out of place coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, 
it's um, there's so, so much so, in there. So, what age were you, Gord, when you uh, came here from Germany, and and what precipitated that? Was that work? Well, I was born in Canada. I was born in Canada, but I was okay. you know, stayed less than a year in Vancouver. Came back once in very shortly because my dad traveled back and forth because of business to Toronto for a very short time, and then '67 we came to stay, and I think I was what was that, like seven eight years old, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty sad because I went to school and the teachers, teachers were not aware. So it was a lot of uh, stress those first few months when they finally called me in and said, I think you have a problem with child here. I said, no, he doesn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> that, that set me back years, you know, self-esteem-wise. But it kind of made me pull back a little bit and I discovered music. I, you know, I, I stayed home with my guitar, and which my dad bought at a little shop, a little beat-up thing, and brought home one day. I was not too happy about it, but I said, okay, well, let's give it a, a shot. And the rest is history, I guess. So it was kind of out of, out of just feeling like a loner that this came out. You know, and, and a lot of the lyrics reflect that, if you look back. Sort Absolutely. of a very, yeah, it, it, it's not all like fun and games and partying and rock and roll. It's like, so it can come out of a sort of darker places sometimes. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, for myself with my own personal philosophy, my own journey, and for all the guests uh, that I've had on my show thus far and people that I'm uh, lined up to talk to to have on my show, um, you know, where we, where we wind up uh, is usually directly 100% a result of the dark times, the adversity and the challenges that we've had to mm-hmm. triumph. And, uh, you know, you get very clear um, when you're in that moment of solitude and reflection and really evaluating your life and taking stock of all the things that perhaps you feel are, are working against you or or not of service to you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the moments of, of adversity and loneliness and darkness and uh, no matter what the circumstances are, because everybody obviously has their own story, has their own journey. Sure. And, I mean... You know, I can't even imagine being a seven or eight year old child and being in a country where, you know, you don't even understand the language, you, you know, because that's, as you know, that's part and parcel of integrating yourself into society, yeah. uh, you know, connecting, bonding, corresponding, understanding, translating. And, um, you know, so I can certainly appreciate how, how isolated you must have felt with other things going on for your family, the move, the transition, and the surrealness of the whole journey. That's right. Journey. Well, that's why when I, when I started making music and people discovered my songs and I put a band together, that, that I was craving, you know, to fit in and to um, be recognized and stand out from, the, you know, the rest of the school. And that gave me that. And that was, that was like Nirvana. I was like, oh, my God, it was like, a, like a, an adrenaline rush I got because... And I sort of craved it because all of a sudden I found a way to, and I wasn't going to be an athlete and I wasn't going to be a cool guy. You know, I was, if you see my, my pictures in school, I was like, I'm it's frightening, you know, <laughs> what, what, what I had to deal with. But um, music opened up some doors I never expected. And I you know, found it quite easy. You know, I was always written very strange stories as a kid. And I really believe, like you talk about you know, the darker times, I think the best lyrics come out of those. I think they're a lot more interesting. Instead of a life Absolutely. of happiness and glee and wonder, you know, which is nice. But I think some of the best songs come out of a, a darker place. And sometimes they're hidden in a happy title or in a, you think it's about one thing, but you look a little deeper and it's like, oh, there's more going on here. And those are the Absolutely. best things. Absolutely. And, and, you know, why I love that so much and why I love talking to people who are very comfortable and are very fearless in sharing their story 
is, you know, everybody hears the rah, 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 or, you know, and I mentioned this on one of my previous shows, whether it be athletes, whether it be musicians, whether it be anybody who has any kind of notoriety or fame uh, attached to their name, that's sometimes the only aspects that people tend to see or focus on, and they don't mm-hmm. realize all the hardships and the challenges and the sweat and the tears and the setbacks that, that oftentimes um, – in succession, in many cases, go on behind the scenes before one can rise uh, to get to that point and to aspire to get to that point. Yeah. And um, and so fundamentally what that all comes down to is the human spirit. You don't quit. You keep going. And, you know, it's anticipated and it's inevitable that these unfortunate things are going to set you back. But, again, that could have been where you wrote your greatest song. That could have been yeah. where you got your epiphany. And It's, um, not, it's, not, a neg- it's not a negative thing. You think at a time no. it is, you know, I'm struggling, I'm not fitting in. And you look back, like I say, like I'm writing a book or however else people do it, and you go, wow, that was a, almost like a, a gift given to me because it made me who I am and made me creative, made me think differently and and I, you know what? When I meet people, like, oh, luckily most of the people I've met who are big stars, whether it was Jim Carrey, he went to our high school. He used to do the same Christmas assemblies. I mean, we meet, you know, he'd do his comedy, and we do our. This is before the Spoon Standing. I had a different band, and mm-hmm. I met him later on the road. And I mean, we, we traveled New, New Sting and Dave Burns, Talking Heads. They're all very humble, quiet. You know, they're not boastful and, and loud. And I mean, some of them are shyer than me. I was amazed. You know, it's like the people that we are on stage are often very different. Than, than the people in real life, and I think that's good to see. I, I call it humility, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a good thing. I don't, and I meet a lot of people who are in bands who are really nobody, and they're all boastful and rock and roll, and you know, playing the whole cliched game, you know. But the, the real talents, they, they're, they're, they're quiet and brooding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not, just, not to simplify it, but you know, no, I think it's mm-hmm. a good, a good place. And I mean, the other thing I noticed too is I kind of went through the whole thing of. The years we have pretty well had ten solid years, and still continues today. Pretty, pretty well feeling like an observer. I've never mm-hmm. been so caught up in it. Like, hey, I'm going to like swan dive into the audience and lose myself. I just, you know, standing and I look at each other, I go, wow, this is happening. This is strange, and you know, it's it's. it's and then the book really shows that how I just was like a little kid, you mm-hmm. know, growing up and watching this thing unravel and just just being dumbstruck by the whole thing you're like wow what is going on here <laughs> but then Wonderful. that way that you're all, it's like kind of kind of sensory overload all the time but it's great material for, for writing fantastic you know? well yeah. i couldn't be happier for you gordon you know i'm a fan i've always been a fan and you've got a lot of support as you know and um and I'm just really grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you. And, you know, I lived in Burlington for a while, but obviously from Dundas, uh, back in Dundas. And yes. uh, and so is Burlington still home for you? No, no, my mom still lives there. She's still there okay. in the same building that I grew up in and right beside all the shot high school where, where I went to school. And uh, I'm oh, in Oakville. It's not too far away. I have to take yeah, care of her in her, yeah. in her older years. And um, I spent a lot of time there still. And I can see myself going back there. You know, it's. Kind of my book starts there too, because my dad was visiting Canada from a trip overseas, and he stopped at a at a park, and the and Spencer Smith Park at the bottom of Brant Street, Burlington, a trip mm-hmm. between Toronto and and Niagara Falls. I thought this might be a place to raise a family, you know. And I said mm-hmm. never, you know, he had no idea, like you know, that his son, who was like seven years old at the time or something, would one day be doing concerts in that park in twenty like in front of twenty thousand people. And, wow! And what a good I got him to thank for that move because he picked a good spot. <laughs> 
You certainly did. And I know that park and I know Oakville and, you know, all that GTA area very well. It's beautiful. Halton, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So, um, so tell me who some of your mentors are or have been and perhaps are the same people and, or maybe it's through music, maybe it's other than music, maybe it's a combination of different mentors that you've uh, acquired throughout yeah. the years. But who, who do you turn to? Who do you lean on? Who do you seek counsel and advice and guidance from? Um, musically, it always changes. You start one place and you kind of go somewhere else. I mean, before the Spoon Sandy and I really like progressive music, like Genesis, those type of things. A new wave opened up a whole other world. Of, and then we started getting more in the British bands, like Simple Minds and Customer Maneuvers in the Dark and, you know, all the stuff that came later on. And then, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't um, put up my walls when anything happened. And when the 80s were over and grunge came in, I started liking, you know, the the West Coast bands like Nirvana. I, I sort of go with with the flow. And being a guitar player, I was very lucky. I mean, those, those poor keyboard players, they couldn't have sunk any lower. But guitar player always finds a place and, I evolved mm-hmm. with it. But, I mean, there's certain... I, I, I'm more sort of, I think, more influenced by film and books and those sort of things since a kid. You know, I was growing up in Germany. I'd watch Disney being built in installments on the, on the the Sunday night Disney show. So I was a big fan of Walt Disney like as the man himself, you know, just mm-hmm. what he does. Um, I would see he was somebody I would look up to. Not, I'm not a fan of theme park or the characters and Mickey Mouse and all that stuff. Just that's the whole concept of what he does. And people like, you know, what's his name from The Twilight Zone, um, Rod Sterling, like, who changed television and probably profoundly affected me more than any book or film or anything. That show, just that was enough mm-hmm. material there for a lifetime of songs. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Yeah, Absolutely. people like that. Stephen King, you know, I think there's a, people see similarities in my book to a Stephen King novel because it's kind of little boy's journey through a very strange world and funny things how things that may seem like nothing can build mm-hmm. into these mountains that, you know, made me who I am. And, you know, mm-hmm. just different people like that. I, I, I'm a big film buff, you know, and I think movies affect me more than anything, you know, more than other bands. You know, I grew up with music, but, uh, but I mean, currently I, I listen to new things, you know, I like new bands. There's certain bands that I always like. I'm a big fan of the British movement. You know, I love, I always love bands like Oasis and The Verve and that sort of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, live in a world of music I, I don't listen to it in the car i listen to talk radio i especially after a show and i don't have a big fancy setup at home i don't even have a home studio i sort of keep it at arm's length you know i uh, the music mm-hmm. is one thing I, you know I, I get go and make a record or play when i have to but the rest of the time i like to round it out with like i say with good books and, and um good movies and, and that sort of thing fantastic yeah. Well, that's great. And in terms of, um, you know... And really boring, probably, right? You probably want to hear no. about big parties and no, wild you know tours. And- this, is, this is nice. This is because, you know, you're keeping it real. You're, you're keeping it real, and it's nice to hear how grounded and humble you are. And, um, you know, and that's probably attributed to a so. lot of your success and your longevity because you haven't well, burnt yourself out and you haven't bought into all the propaganda. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, you've obviously made some good choices that have kept you clean, kept you healthy, kept you on the mm-hmm. path. So I think that's wonderful. I think that's what yeah. people need to hear. And I was a bit worried that when the book came out, people were, oh, wait a second, there's not enough dirt in here. I mean, it's got some things, but I said, no. And I, I was pleasantly surprised that that was why people liked it. They thought, this is real. This is. I can relate to this. I'm not. This guy's not being cocky or boastful or, you know, mm-hmm. going on about parties and whatever things. It knows about life and and it can be 
a lot more scary and funny and entertaining than, than any, any of that other stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely, because again, as you pointed out, people can identify with you. It's relatable. It's real. Mm-hmm. You know, you're keeping yeah. it real. And um, so, you know, I appreciate what you said about, you know, film and Walt Disney and, and uh, whatnot. But in terms of your tangible life, um, who have you, have you sought out anybody specifically who has been a part of your journey who before you became well-known and uh, famous, um, you know, has there been anybody who's been along for the ride with you, has known you from the inception of all this great stuff having happened to you, um, who you've turned to or for advice, yeah. whether it be career wise? You have to remember I'm a loner. I, I'm, I'm sometimes stubbornly I'll stick to what I believe and mm-hmm. I've learned, you know, as like everybody does, as you get older, man, this stuff to, that I had completely wrong or that I have yet to learn. And that's amazing. I've, I have had a few revelations in the last couple of years, like later in life. Where I had mm-hmm. something completely wrong, I assumed something about something in all of my life, and you go, "What? Wow! I wonder what else I'm wrong about." <laughs> but you know, sense, obviously, Sandy's been there from the beginning, from the spoons, um, mm-hmm. and we pretty well had the same vision for things. I'm more the creative person that side of it. I write like 99 percent of the songs and stuff, but I wouldn't have turned to her. But you know, I think a, a big part of this, and I hope it doesn't sound corny, is, is was my father, mm-hmm. because he was so open-minded. Compared to most dads, I think. I mean, the place we recorded, which is just off the Botanical Gardens, you probably know where that is, in the edge of Hamilton, Burlington. And a little place you call the cottage because it was so remote. And he had this crazy library there. And as a kid, even before the spoons, I could go through there and be inspired any day. Stuff about Eastern religions and the third eye and out-of-body travel and then books on, you know, paranormal experiments being done in, 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 in the 60s and 70s in Russia and the U.S., like... And then really crazy novels, and we both had a love for train travel, and so my mind was just, you know, none of it wow. seemed far-fetched. So I was at an early age I taught to keep a really open mind about things. Wonderful. And, you know, Novahard actually came out of a science fiction novel that I found, an Arthur C. Clarke novel, I think it was. Is that right? End. Yeah, and that sort of inspired. This, this, this is a good example about songs. People think, well, Novahard, is that a happy little love song? Well, it can be on the surface, but below it's more of a sort of big spiritual all-encompassing song about where we all kind of go in the end and sort of this the nova is like an exploding star or black hole that absorbs everything you know so it's, mm-hmm. like, it's sort of a, just a view of the future and how you know it talks about the gentlemen and the architects of the world we, you know these are all good and fine but compared to something greater they're just sort of just a sideshow to so yeah the, the, that library and my dad's philosophy on life and he traveled the world you know he brought back stories and souvenirs and he boy, he was an adventure to the nth degree, you know. So that Fantastic. really instilled a lot in me. So you would you would characterize your dad as being your greatest role model? I would think so. And again, I didn't realize that till now because we weren't that super close. You know how dads were from that generation. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't it wasn't like a lot of hugging and close mm-hmm. time. But boy, he sure opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I didn't realize at the time that not everybody. You know, the kids are reading, you know, Hardy Boy books or <laughs> reading Archie <laughs> comic books. And, and he's very well-read, and he didn't want us to make sure we were reading all the time. He didn't like us playing cards or fooling around. He like, at the time, it was a bit of a drag. <laughs> but uh, in the long right. run, it, it set me on a certain course in life that uh, was a good thing. Well, what a lovely experience. What a lovely gift to have received from your dad. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... 
what would you deem to be in, you know, this might be, it could be personal as opposed to professional because you've, you've encountered a lot of great success. Um, but what would you deem Gord to be one of your top greatest accomplishments in life? Um, just again, it's not super kind of corny, but my kids, you know, three kids that are amazing, you know. Wow. Nice. uh, Yeah. Like they're, I just, they go through some crazy years, but boy, what three amazing people they are, you know, just, uh, I would say that, but, you know, because I see mm-hmm. other kids and they're a little wacky sometimes. And, and, but just <laughs> are how we much all, heart oh, they come on, let's face it. Are yeah, we all I know. Wacky? Yeah, but, no, they're, uh, they're, they're no, really I, genuine. Sorry. No, no, no They're you really genuine ahead. people with a lot of heart and a lot of imagination and open-minded, you know. And so that's, that's a major one, you know. I think. It, it's more of a selfish thing, but to know that we kind of left our little mark on the world with our songs, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's very fulfilling, you know, especially because that's... they were so different. They weren't about the cliched rock lifestyle or partying. And they were about, you know, some deeper thoughts, even if people didn't get it right away, but to, that we were able to, with our crazy music that wasn't really necessarily mainstream at the time, that we still were able to put our little spot on the map. That's kind of nice, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of sort of bit of an immortality, I guess. Well, I'd have to agree with you on that. I mean, the Spoons were, you know, very unique and distinct in, in lyrics, sound, um, just your whole image, everything that you personified. It was very different and stood out from anything else uh, for sure. And that's how I think the Spoons became, you know, recognizable and memorable. And, you know, the fact that you've maintained the momentum and kept the success going and even reinventing things and, and changing things up a little bit and how yes. you've done your music. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, but just to go back one step, you mentioned about, you know, the image. And, and I didn't realize that that really was a turning point when we first came out. And I didn't realize this till not a few years ago. And I talked about it in the book is how we were instrumental of that, of much music even happening. And then Moses Neimer did a City TV Much Music special or something um, as a way to prove to the higher-ups of City TV that there was a demographic for sort of music-based, you know, very wide audience kind of music-based show, which would eventually be Much Music. And it was such a success that he used this as a model because we had a girl, a powerful female role in the band. Like she was like the star of the show. Um, very stylish, very sort of Euro, very, you know, he had in his mind that that would sort of change. And that's why the um, very first episode of Much Music starts with, you know, welcome to Much Music, you know, first episode. We have videos by Duran Duran, um, Howard Jones, and The Spoons, like the very first Much Music episode. Wow. <laughs> the beginning. So I, it was kind of gratifying to see that we're sort of part of a shift in things, you know, here, mm-hmm. you know, like in, at least in Canada. Well, and definitely in Canada, I, and yeah. I, I would, I would suspect worldwide. You know, I, well, mean, I hope you know, it's been, especially the Aria Zippity's album's got so many nice, you know, one of the most influential albums of the '80s, those kind of things, and top hundred Canadian songs of all time. That you know, I, for a song like Nova Heart or Aria Zippity's, which is not you know your average party song, you know, like a Sweet Home Alabama or you know, or Brown Eyed Girl, <laughs> it's kind of a nice right. that we found our place with our wacky little creation, you know. But like That's you funny. said, we have been able to keep it going because, first of all, the retro thing is incredible, but we don't want to just do that. So there, there are really three different versions, uh, versions of the band now. There is the Spoons, as people know it. Mm-hmm. Then I've been doing acoustic shows, which I never thought. I didn't, didn't even own an acoustic guitar until last year, and somebody sort of forced me into it, and I 
started doing some songwriting um, workshops with Rick Emmett and and, and um, Blair Packham. They have this thing called Sta- uh, Song Studio at the University of Toronto. And I had gotten the acoustic guitar, and they said, you know what, this is the future for you. They, when they heard my songs done acoustically, and since then, I've been doing it regularly. I went from being scared of it to being hooked on it. And, and I did one with Gowan, you know, he, with just piano and, and, and acoustic guitar stripped down. So there's that version. And now we've come to the stage where, you know, our 30th anniversaries are coming up. We've done some mm-hmm. sort of modernized, dancey remixes of our, of our stuff. And... It's become the highlight of the show. I thought maybe we would, you know, maybe the kids would like it, but we would alienate our, our old fans. But no, for the, it's their, their new favorite. So we're planning a whole tour in the summertime based on performing the remixes and traveling with the DJ and doing all the electronic festivals. You know, which wow. is crazy. You know, but it, it works. In the States, they do the same thing. They'll, they'll have all, like, you know, Dead Mouse kind of people, and then they'll have, like, Blondie on as a... But we'll actually be doing modern versions of our songs and they translate really well I mean, if you heard nova harder mm-hmm. ours and symphony's done that way like dubstep or whatever it's, it's quite something <laughs> it blew me away myself so I, i'm Amazing. convinced yeah well i just want to go back to what you just said there about the acoustic guitar and the fact that somebody kind of forced you into it last year and uh you know, you touched upon something again, which is a theme throughout my show, something that I've spoken about when I've had no guests or even when I've had guests. Um, it's, uh, you know, when you walk into your fear, when you embrace your fear or, you know, mm-hmm. you take up new things and, and that's really very much, it's cliche. A lot of things in life are cliche. Yeah. It's hard to come up with an original, original thought anymore. Um, but truly I, I've established for myself personally, um, 2015 and, and probably the latter part of 2014 was my year of fearlessness and Mm -hmm. so you know when i when i have a moment of trepidation or when i feel scared or hesitant or reluctant um you know as bold and brash as it is and not to sound morose but when it comes down to it i just think you know what lisa we're all gonna die you know we're all gonna (laughs) die so and truly that's how i push myself through it i don't i don't need to turn to anybody else i believe that too yeah Yeah, i believe i mean i mentioned that a few times with how you, you always tend to forget because your body is funny in a way of fooling you, but you have to remind yourself to jump into things that scare you because almost every time you're sure to come out feeling much better about yourself at the other end. It's guaranteed Absolutely. almost. You know, it's not, not like you. I've almost gotten to the point where I'm comfortable with it. Okay, you know, I'm not going to fool myself. I'm just going to go for it. Forget it's wasting time questioning it. Just jump in. And the acoustic thing was a major point for me because I grew up on, you know, spoons, big show, big amps, electric guitars, and suddenly yep. to be strip bare just in front of a bunch of people and I I had never seen a crowd so wrapped and hanging on every word I said wow they're actually listening to every word and where you know at a big show they're kind of in the moment and jumping around and it was an eye opener for me and I I didn't even realize it at the show and when I watched um, people's videos on 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 YouTube that they took on their iPhones or whatever of the show then I caught it like from their perspective from from my perspective I was going I don't know if this is working you know, I'm a major. I'm a self doubter. You, know, you can, but you give me just an ounce of encouragement. Like the sky's the limit. When I saw that, okay, here I go. Now I can do it. Fantastic. It's funny how that. Yeah, even you know, people think that all entertainers are self assured. You know, I, I still get nervous every time I go on stage. Every time I try something different. Mm-hmm. But usually after the first song, you're you're back in your element. And but like I said, almost like humility. I think it's an important thing. That sort of nervous energy, that uncertainty, that. It's not routine. It's never routine to go out in front of a crowd for me. It's, you suss mm-hmm. it out. You get comfortable. You shape it and form it. And 
And then when it starts rolling, it's like a different little bit of heaven every time. Beautiful. Beautiful. So throughout the course of your career, I mean, how many concerts would you say that you've done? How many guest appearances? I mean, are we talking thousands? Are we, you know? I, I would think so, yeah. Yeah? Because I, well, I don't just have the spoons. I have my, because the thing, I, I, for a long time I had like a little fun band for the weekends, you know, to keep playing. I was, I love to play one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it could be, I'm sure, in the thousands. I mean, we, the nice thing with the spoons, we pretty well had 10 solid years, which is pretty well unheard of now. I mean, bands are like to get an album or two. Or, and we never ever thought it would end. It was just that nasty uh, grunge and stuff that came from the West Coast that kind of put a kibosh in everything. <laughs> but, you know, wow. it was probably time for change anyway. But, no, we we just kept coasting. And we were young enough that, you know, we had life ahead of us. You know, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you, so Gord, when you reflect back on your career and you think of all the different shows that you've done, all the awards that you've received, all the times you've been nominated and, you know, placed on the charts and positioned throughout your career, uh, to the degree that you successfully have, um, you know, is there any one particular moment or concert or, you know, where it's resonated with you and, you know, you remember it, you'll never forget it, a standout moment within your career where something just went, oh wow, like I'll never forget that. That's just kind of like crystallized everything about where I am yeah. today. What would that yeah. be? Well, there, there, maybe a bunch of them because I would say they're probably maybe they don't, might not mean the same thing. People are not musicians, but but usually, you know, we're just talking about that. They're they're the ones that scared the most. You know, the most, mm-hmm. but because of that, they they're burned into your memory, right? Because you came out and it was such a, um, a turning point. And you could have Absolutely. easily just walked away and said, I'm not doing this. this uh, like the first time we played in New York City, I, was, I think we were on the Culture Cup Tour, that was, New York City is you know, arguably the greatest city in the world. We, we're going to really nail that show to the wall. Like we, was, we were nervous and, and um, <laughs> we did the show. It was, it was amazing. Suddenly there's a knock at the door. There, you know, there's Sting bringing back his friend Nile Rogers to meet us because he wants to, like, you know, that's probably the biggest rock star in the world and the, the most relevant producer in the world. He was, you know, he'd done everybody from Sheik to, to Madonna to mm-hmm. David Bowie and Duran And now he, you know, big hit with um, Get Lucky last year with that punk. He's like, he's like Quincy Jones now. And they're coming back, you know, telling how great we were. And, and at the time, we were so young and in the moment, we didn't even notice it. But looking back, I said, wow, like a show that could have been doomed turned into, you know, wow. a game changer for us. For Obviously, sure. The picnic. We did a big police picnic shows we did in Toronto, which was like 60,000 people. Before that, we just, the most we'd done was maybe 500 people, you know, at, at, the, at the concert hall in Toronto. All of a sudden, we were thrown in front of, probably as a test from A&M Records. They, come, they signed us from Los Angeles, and they suddenly, you know, and they were staying, talking to us, and he, they said good things about us on the radio. And, you know, it was suddenly this band that I thought was destined for, you know, playing the school assembly and, Maybe the public library where we did one of our first shows suddenly had a career. I said, wow, maybe this is possible. Because, I mean, you have to think back at that time when we were on the big, at the time it was the Chum album chart mm-hmm. on the top ten. The stuff that was around us was like Queen, Led Zeppelin, The Who. How does a band like The Spoons even register, you know? So wow. Anything that was given to us was a gift and unexpected. I mean, Almost every song that we took to the radio stations, back then you actually used to show up to the radio stations and go on air and bring your 45 with you, like in your hand. <laughs> every time you walked through the door, I'd be nervous, thinking, what are we doing? This is not right. No, I don't think this is good enough. And, you know, I've been proven wrong so many times. It's incredible. 
Fantastic. And so out of all the songs that you've written, produced, uh, you know, sung to thousands of people, you know, is there, is there one piece of work that you've created, uh, between you and your band and what you've written that really you're most proud of or for whatever reason most resonates with you? Well, I mean, Novar is the obvious one and I, I found that because doing it acoustically because then people really hear what it's about. And I yeah. said it's like slower and it's a lot richer and deeper. But it's very simple. It's a very simplistic song. And I, I wrote that on the keyboard. The very first thing I did when I bored Rob's keyboard was go da 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 And he said, that's so simple. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> I said, okay, that's my new new mantra, like simple and hooky. But I, as a as a work that I'm really proud of is Ari's and Symphonies, that song, which is the title track from that mm-hmm. same album and also a single. And that one, I play it. It's like an opera, you know, and it kind of it really sums up how we felt at the time. It's like our... Our um, brick on the wall, you know, it's, it's all about yeah. the preconceived notions of what little boys and little girls should be like in school and growing up. And like the aria is like the moment in a big work, like a, in an uh, opera thing, where the where this, this soloist will shine and stand out. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the, the the individual in the big picture. You know, that's what it's about. It's not about arias and symphonies. It's about standing out from the crowd and, and breaking. You know, think of the brick on the wall or quadrophenia or all those kind of big albums. Just, and that's right. that's. So, so lyrically, that really sums up a lot of what I believe. And musically, it's so complex and fun, and you know, it's yeah, I'm really proud of that one. It wasn't one of our back then; it was a big single, but it's not the one people remember us for compared to like romantic tra- traffic and right. that sort of thing. But I'm very proud of that one. And when I performed that, I should send you a little clip of me doing that acoustically. I would uh, love that if you could do that. That would be. I mean, we're Facebook oh, friends. Oh, I think you'd be surprised. Upload it on my page. I'd love that. <laughs> It sounds like the theme from, from Dr. Zhivago. When I heard that, I, I started thinking, musical. I'm going to do a musical next. <laughs> Why wow. not? I've done a book. Now it's time for a musical. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into what my next question was going to be, because I was going to ask you, you know, particularly with what you've identified as, uh, you know, what sometimes or oftentimes has been the motivating factor for you is something where, you know, you question something and you think, no, I don't, I don't want to do that or I don't see myself doing that or I'm scared to do that. You know, what, what challenge or, um, perceivable obstacle or something that you would normally be characteristically be inclined to stray away from are you feeling compelled to have to do? Is it a musical? Is it something else? Is it a bunch of things? Well, I mean, the Christie thing was the first step. I think that kind of broke the mold. That was one of the most frightening things I've ever had to do. Right. And I think it's opened up, you know, all these other things. You know, it would be, I mean, not, not to become like a egomaniac or something. I want, I want to do these things because it makes me feel good. I don't even care about the recognition. But to, mm-hmm. because I know it was a, you know what it's like, it's a bit of a struggle writing a book. <laughs> you, you know, it starts off easy and then you go through moments when it gets tougher, but then it gets easier, then all of a sudden you realize this is, it's taken years off my life. It's a big accomplishment to finally get it done, and and mm-hmm. but it's so gratifying, you know. At the at the same time, to have finally had that thing in its cover and on, on racks, and so I mean to contemplate something like a musical or a film or whatever is that's such mm-hmm. a huge thing. But you know, man, that's going to make me feel so good when I'm <laughs> when I've when I've done that. So um, this whole electronic music thing. I mean, if, if we can get a whole new audience, I find that really really interesting, you know, and really mm-hmm. something I could you know, get gratified, um, satisfaction out of. You know, I don't know. I mean, I pretty well, I've been a lucky guy. I mean, I've done, I've been in movies, I've acted, I've, 
I've done soundtracks for film. I've done children's stories. I've I've, I've really been um, able to do things what I, that I've wanted to do. So, I mean, there's not much left that I need to do. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, maybe another book. Well, and <laughs> you know, I was that is, what do you, you have one under your too. belt? Where's part gonna... two, you know? Right. <laughs> Shades of spoons or something <laughs> like that. <I> don't... <laughs> Put a fork in it, part two. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. That's what people said. No, Next I, one's going to have more. Sorry? I was just going to say, you know, going back to something that you said about, you know, not to not to want to sound or be, you know, sound like an egomaniac. Um, it's not about that. I mean, you're very clearly, you know, for anybody who knows you, who has um, followed you, uh, you know, who is a fan of yours, um, you know, or even just knows you personally would know that, uh, you know, basically what you've just kind of underlined as as you know, the motivating factor, you stepped into your fear. So it, it's not like you exuded anything that represented an element of cockiness or, uh, I mean, it's, you know, obviously you need to have a level of belief within yourself and you have to follow your passions. And I'm all about passions. I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm all about passions, which came about with my own journey with the passion test, a New York times bestselling book authored by Janet Bray Atwood, who's one all of right. my authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who I received training from in her San Anselmo, California home last year. Um, one of 12 people I was successful. Successful, successful and very grateful to have received that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, whether it's a mishmash or a combination of, like I said, moments of trepidation or fear, but coupled with passion. So, I, you know, I, I think that your DNA, your, your DNA, intuition, soul, all of those things which are intertwined and interconnected, you know, you very much know the fabric of who you are, especially when you get to be at this point in your life. And, um, you know, and some of it is through process of elimination or uh, timing, whatnot. But I think when you feel a calling or you feel compelled to do something or you're very in touch with what your your talents or your skills are or just what drives you as a human being, um, mm-hmm. that's where you start to manifest. And so... It's, it's almost the, 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 the... Getting back to what scares you, is I've learned maybe a little too late that don't cover up those things that you think are flaws or um, in your character or your life or things that you don't want to share and you're embarrassed about. Those are exactly the things people want to read about or know about you. you know, Absolutely. Like I said, I opened this book and I thought, well, maybe I should just talk about all the fun and the... No, I started talking about the quirky little insecurities I have and how I look at the world and, and I was kind of embarrassed as a kid to be that way, but that's how, you know, what made me what I am. And that's the stuff people gravitate toward and, and write to me about and then talk about in reviews and I go, wow, the, the one thing that... I was afraid to write about. That's what I've had one person say. Remember this chapter here, but this thing you went through and you, you know, embarrassed me. I want a whole book like that. I said what? <laughs> I, again, I had it completely wrong. The things that scared me that I thought were, oh, I just want to sort of sweep under the carpet. No, that's what people want. They want the real and the, the imperfect and. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Good thing I learned now. You know, I still have some time to, to make up for lost time. Well, there is no, but you know what? In my, to my way of thinking, Gord, there is no lost time because the important thing is, you know, it's a, it's a life lesson or it's a message that at some point you got because, you know, the unfortunate tragedy 
of many people that we know who, who, you know, and I use the word live loosely, but exist. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are very stunted in their growth. A lot of people don't aspire to do anything in which to step outside of their comfort zone. And that's when you know you're mm-hmm. alive. And even when you put yourself out there, and of course, life as we know, there is no predictable outcome. It's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you know that you've put yourself out there, regardless of the outcome, you know, whether you've made that album, whether you got that gig, you know, whether you ever got to the point of your book selling you wrote something you did something you followed your passions and and yeah. you embraced your fears yeah. and, and i also and, learned sorry no go I also ahead learned that the best things that ever happened to me or my, the band were unexpected surprises you know mm-hmm. a lot of the times you aim towards some goal and by the time you finally get there you've changed what you really want you need and then it's, whatever but that unexpected little side trip that that really is gratifying. It takes you somewhere that you didn't expect, but gives you what you really need and want. And boy, I, you know, I, even making albums, I count on those things. I'll go into recording a song and I say, you know, it's good the way it is, but I, I'm counting on that little turning point or that little magic performance that's going to just give this, you know, uh, turn this around and make it something special. And, mm-hmm. and I, I count on those in life and everything, not just music and love and friendship and wherever. You know, if I go on a little trip somewhere, I'm, I mean, I'm always keep keep myself completely open to those unexpected. Things that prove, prove me wrong, like I said before. <laughs> like, like, I love it. You know, I think, Absolutely. I think love we know that. less. It's, it's good that we don't know so much, you know, because we think we know it all. It's, it kind of keeps, keeps, keeps blinders on you. And to right. be open to, to all these outside things is really important. Well, it's it's like the old adage, you know, that I absolutely love and and I subscribe to. It's you know, the older I get, the more I realize I know nothing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and those are one of the things you don't want to hear as you're growing up. It's uh, it's, uh, but the, the kind of thing your parents would tell you. But you know what? It's kind of true, and it's kind of, it doesn't have to be old fashioned and, and square. No, it's kind of exciting. You know, like, give me you know, let the universe give me some cool little gifts. You know. Right. And, and, and well, that's, uh, you know, I, I'm all about the universe. I talk a lot about that. In fact, my second book that's at the printer's uh, children's book is titled Reimburse the Universe. And uh-huh. I love, you know, and I love that because, you know, whether we're talking about that book specifically or we're just talking about what the universe represents, it's our relationship with the universe. What we put out there, we get back tenfold. I mm-hmm. totally 100% believe that. And as far as, you know, what you've said throughout the show, which I absolutely love, and I, li- I like the fact that you keep reinforcing it and keeping it real, and humble is, you know, when you step into your fear, uh, it's amazing some of the best things, uh, the most, the things that you're most grateful for, for is, is what comes out of that. And for example, mm-hmm. this is happening for me right now. I mean, a year ago now, I never would have thought I, ha- I would have had my own radio show talking to yeah. you. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I, and I appreciate the gift of your time and I, I love the fact that, you know, you wanted to spend an hour of your morning with me and, and enlightening people and, and, uh, giving people the, the nuts and bolts of your true story of what catapulted you into how people would now know you as a recognizable name and yeah. talking well, about the insecurities. I mean, that's, I, I, and, and I never expected that we'd have, you know, so much in common with our philosophy in life. And I, I, I had no idea this interview would go this place. I thought we'd just be talking about hard facts and the story of the spoon. No, but I'm not about so that, good. Gord. No, it's great. <laughs> that, and, and you totally understand what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, and, it's, and hopefully other people do too. And Or if they don't, yeah. that they'll, you know, get something from it. And right. That perception isn't, you know, always right. You know, do you think? Most people who meet me, they're very surprised. And I think it's the greatest thing. You know, they expect... There are a lot of um, 
preconceived notions with musicians and the, the arts or music, right. you know, pop music in particular. And you know, what? I, lo- I love to blow those out of the water. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm completely and, and different we, than what you expected. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I certainly appreciate the sentiment and, uh, you know, and the fact that you're, you're making it so that people can identify with you. And, and as I said before we went live when I was talking with you and Barb, our, my producer, is, uh, you know, I can appreciate a little bit of what you're talking about because my dad, uh, I mean, he's now a, a retired prof from college, but prior to yeah. that, he was a, a former professional musician. And yeah. he played with all the greats before the greats became the greats in the UK and still keeps in touch with one member who plays with people like Deep Purple and Pink Floyd and, and whatnot yeah. and remains really close with he and his wife. And, um, you know, and, and so when I think about my childhood and having grown up and in many ways very positively being influenced by my dad and, I mean, we grew up with awesome music in our house. I mean, there was vinyl everywhere and, you know. You could write was, a book, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and you know what? I really think that he should. I really yeah. think that he should. And uh, and so you know, I mean, I'm not a musician myself. I I'm, I would like to. I've I've got a guitar, and I've tried mm-hmm. to take some lessons, and I got to pick it back up. Life's gotten very busy for me, but and maybe you can help me with that. Do you take? Do you teach? No, but I I show you everything you need to know in one sitting. Okay. <laughs> <Pretty>. um, <laughs> There's a really simple. I find there's a really simple way of doing it, and um, it's amazing what you don't need to what you don't need to know, and right. what you're going to become a, a professional. But oh, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I only say what I say about my dad because you know I, I can appreciate what you're saying about the the misconception that people have because of course they only know you based on who you are now. They didn't know the story mm-hmm. behind the story, which is always what catapults you to what ends up being what people actually know about you in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, having grown up in a in a family like that myself, where music was everything. When my mom played, they had 45s. You know, my my dad was on the charts, number one in Russia. Uh, uh, you know, top 20 in the UK and stuff like that. So, and lots of trippy stories, lots of trippy mm-hmm. stories. So, uh, uh, you know, but I mean, he's yep. a very humble man. And I mean, a lot of people wouldn't associate that, but he doesn't talk a lot about that. It's it's really what he's done in his latter life. But when people look at him, people talk about him or, or the ways in which they've come to know him, you know, very humble, such as yourself. And, um, you know, and, and very much a risk taker too, you know, stepping into the fear and, and mm-hmm. these being the reasons how things come to fruition. Yeah. So, very true. Very true. Yeah. So this is lovely. Well, I'm glad I didn't let you down. No, of course not. <laughs> all, all cocky full of swagger and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's so boring. So, so tell me, <laughs> tell, me boring about the document, tell me about the documentary. Well, that, well, we had, it was the 30th anniversary of Romantic Traffic, Tell of Lies. Um, well, end of last year, beginning of this year, they kind of overlap. And we got the old band back together. But obviously, Sandy's still there. But Rob Proust and Derek Ross and the original band, we did a concert in Toronto, big show. And we kind of based it on that. So it's partially live, as well as interviews at a studio and a retrospective through the years. And it's a really nice little package, which should be out in the next couple of weeks. Lovely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little thing to have. And, um, it, you know, Gave everybody, especially Rob and Derek, who I hadn't seen for a while, to, to put down their recollections of, of those times, and it really rounds it up nicely because right. we all have different memories of how things were and what was of important. Course. And um, yeah, it was, it was just good timing with the 30th anniversary. It's, it's pretty well the 30th anniversary of, of something every year now from now on. <laughs> it's like it's amazing. It's with our careers, 
So I'm, I'm really happy with that. Obviously, then the book, I'll be wherever I go, I do book signings, you know. Well, I'm going to make mention of that. I'm just, I'm going to just make some mention of a couple of things here because we are, we're down to like four minutes here before okay. we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, I could talk to you for hours. Um, uh, but anyway, I just want to make people aware of the fact that, uh, Gord has an upcoming book signing. It's at Coles at the Seneca, or sorry, I'm getting this mixed up with the other events. So you have a book signing March 21st, one o'clock to three o'clock at the Penn Center Coles location in St. Catharines, Ontario. And I believe that because I know from Coles normally book signings at Coles go from 1 to 4, but you're having to cut out a little bit early because that same evening, Saturday, March 21st at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Seneca Queen Theatre, 4624 Queen Street, Niagara Falls, Ontario, you're performing. And yeah. I want to thank you for the personal invites to both things. I, I don't think I can make your book signing. I think I have a book signing myself that day, but I think I'm going to be able to make it to your event in Niagara Falls. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yes, I absolutely will. Now that you know all about me, you can heckle me from with a lot of... <laughs> Backstory that uh, yeah. <laughs> I got some the, some of the the, the the ghosts from the past. Yeah, it'll be yeah, good to no, see you. I, I think I, you'll be really you'll be surprised of the of the band and and uh, how the music has stood up the test of time. Absolutely, and I can't wait to see you. And because uh, I'm very much setting my intentions that I'm going to be there the evening of Saturday, March 21st, again eight o'clock p.m. Seneca Queen Theater, six four six two four Queen Street, Niagara Falls, Ontario. And if you, again, we've got two minutes here, so if you could just quickly let us know how people can contact you, that would be great, Gord. Okay, um, usually if you just put the spoons and spoons music in, you'll get us somehow. But the main website is spoonsmusic.com. Uh, mm-hmm. You go to Twitter, it's Spoons Canada. Uh, Facebook, probably where the most activity happens. Just look for Spoons on, on Facebook. Uh, that's probably the best way, those, those three places. Wonderful. Um, yeah, very easy. Oh, I will give you my phone number. Just to, uh, I, I have your phone number, Gordon. <laughs> I mean, the people, the people out there. I'll keep it private. I'll keep it private. I want some privacy. I just... I just want to say it's been such a treat, such a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to have you with me for this hour with all of us. Oh, it's and my pleasure. Uh, Thank you. I would look forward to doing another show with you down the road when we've when you've accomplished obviously other things that you've uh, walked into fear, embraced, and it's turned into another success story for you. So I just want to say wish you well. I'll see you Saturday, March 21st. And for the listening audience, my name is Lisa McDonald. You've been tuned in to my show, Carpe Diem. Uh, I go live every Friday, 11.04 Eastern Standard Time in the morning, first show of the day. And for anybody who has any uh, suggestions as to what you might like for me to speak about, or if you'd like to appear as a guest on my show, you can reach me at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. Author, or sorry, McDonald is M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Again, Gord, it's been a lovely treat, pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you and seeing you soon. Oh, thank you. It was my and pleasure. Maybe we do a play date with the kids, eh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, talk to me after to do the musical. We'll put them all in it. Okay, let's do that. We'll do a tambourine session or something. All right, you take care and have a lovely day and happy birthday again. You've been listening to Carpe This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.